Well, hey, good morning, everybody. It is so good to be here with you this Sunday morning. All right, we got a handful of good mornings there from all of you there. All right, I like to hear that. Hey, um, I am happy to be here, and um, this, is a, this is a good Sunday to be here. I got to give a shout out, and this doesn't often happen with me. Um, as you know, I normally like to insult things like this. But being the Philly fan that I am, I'm standing over here during that last song and during prayer. And what do I do being a normal Philly? I drop my Bible. If you watch the Phillies this year, nothing uncommon about that. They drop a lot of things. And what happens? My Met fan behind me. <laughs> don't cheer. Don't cheer. He was gracious enough and kind enough to bend down and pick that up for me, knowing Phillies can't hold on to anything. So there, there you go. Thank, thank you so much. It is, it is good to be here this morning. And um, so, so thankful to Pastor Tim for the opportunity. Pastor Tim and his family, they are away this week. Um, so they're on vacation. I was talking to him just Friday night. And uh, they were headed out to uh, Michigan yesterday to visit with some, with some friends out there. And uh, that's exciting for them. Exciting for their kids also to see some of their friends and everything like that. So uh, do pray for them this week as, as they are away. Um, the other thing is, um, I, yeah, I got to give full disclosure this morning, full disclosure. So this morning's message is saved people serve people. And um, we are going to be talking about don't just go to church, but be the church Sunday here, which is next Sunday. And, and I want to encourage each of you to, uh, to be a part of that. I want to encourage you, there are sign-ups in the back I want to encourage you to go back, take a look at those, even as Reed encouraged you earlier with that. Um, how many of you feel bad for Reed's sister? <laughs> Whew, yeah, boy, that was fun growing up, wasn't it? <sighs> anyway, anyway, I, I, I got to meet her earlier this morning, and I picked on her about that as well. But, uh, but, but anyway, thank you, Reed, for letting us pick on you. But we have sign-ups back there. And, and my full disclosure about the don't just go to church, be the church Sunday is this. Um, I, I'm going to speak this morning and encourage each of you to come to it next week, and then I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to come. Yeah, isn't that great? Um, we are out of town next week. So, so full disclosure, right up front on that. Um, so this is one of those messages, you're, you're used to it, um, you're used to it where the pastor tells you what to do and certainly doesn't do it himself, right? We try not to have those kind of messages here at Bridgewater and I try not to be that kind of speaker, but um, I, I'm right up front with you at the beginning. But don't just go to church, be the church. So we want to encourage you with that. This morning's message is, is, all right, this is, this is fun to say, and uh, this morning's message is the greatest of all time. It is the GOAT message, right? There you go, the, the GOAT message. Um, what's the GOAT stand for? Greatest of all time. It, that's the title of the message. Don't worry, the message you have me speaking. Um, the, if you are brand new this morning, we are so glad you're here. Come back next week, be a part of, uh, don't just be the, go to church, be the church, and then come back the week after that, and you will hear our normal pastor, all right? And that, that, but this week's message... We're talking about the goat, and I don't know if you're familiar with the goat, but we, different things in our lifetime, right? Different things that we think are the greatest of all time. Maybe, maybe for some of you, it's a, a business. Maybe your business, and you love business, and you're there like the greatest of all time. Maybe, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was Watson. Maybe it's Elon Musk. Maybe it's, I, I don't know what you have in your mind there. Maybe you're, maybe you're a chef. Maybe you like to watch cooking shows, and maybe it's Rachel Ray. Maybe it's. Um, Maybe it's Emerald, maybe, maybe it's Guy, um, maybe it's the Hell's Kitchen guy whose name escapes me right now. Isn't that terrible? What? Gordon Ramsay, thank you. Whew. 
Wow, that's, that's a tough one to remember right there. Um, I, I don't know, may, maybe you're more of a sports person like me, right? And when you just say the greatest of all time, it is naturally this individual right here. Um, yeah, there you go, the greatest of all time. If you're a basketball guy, um, if you're not a basketball guy, he's still the greatest of all time. Oh, or maybe it's the greatest play of all time, right? Right there, the greatest play of all time in Super Bowl history. What a lovely play that is. Dean, I see you love that. I had to throw that in there. That's really nice. But um, that Super Bowl play, the Philly special, is one that um, I certainly loved greatest of all time. Had I been thinking, and I didn't think of this until this morning, um, we would have put the Philly fanatic right over here as the greatest mascot of all time as well, right? Um, what, am I, what am I thinking? But it's me, so what do we have to talk about a little bit? Maybe it's candy. What's the greatest candy of all time? Is it the Reese's Peanut? Yeah, all of them. See, that's correct. Is it the Hershey? Is it just regular Hershey's? Maybe it's maybe the greatest candy of all time is just regular M&M's, peanut M&M's. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's a York peppermint patty. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's Snickers. Maybe it's whatever your choice is. Um, the good news is you're going to help us decide that at the end of the morning. Um, y- you know if I'm speaking, uh, every once in a while there's going to be candy. And that's just really to buy you off because I always go long and I feel badly. And um, yeah, and plus I like to have a snack just in case I do go too long. I like to be prepared. But um, the greatest of all time, Jesus used these words, all right? And, and when he used these words, Jesus goes on and, and he says, whoever wants to become great among you must... And hold on to that thought for just a minute, because I, I'm, I'm going to make you hold on to that idea right there. Because Jesus, in talking about the greatest, if you want to be the greatest of all time, he's going to give us some instruction on that. And if you're an athlete, all right, um, if you were an athlete once upon a time, whatever that terminology may be, you know that it takes work to be good at that. If you were a cook, if you were a chef, if you bake stuff, you know that it takes work to be good at that. And if we want to be the greatest of all time, if we want to be great at something, it's not just I show up and I'm great at it. That's, that's me. That's, that's what I do, right? That's, that's sometimes how we think. And, and in, the, in the athletic world, it took lots of work for individuals to become the great, as great as they are. But Jesus, in his words, he is talking to his disciples, and in that comment, he says, whoever wants to become great among you must. It's found in Mark, but before we get to that passage, we're going to take a look. Because you see, in the book of Mark, we're going to go through some stuff here. And the story comes from Jesus, all right? And it's Jesus of Nazareth, all right? Jesus of Nazareth. And that's a story that really should have ended right in the first century. If we think about it, in the first century, there's... An empire, Rome, the most powerful empire in the world at the, at the time, right? The dominating force in the world, controlled the known world for the most part, right? Um, they didn't want Christianity. As a matter of fact, they're the ones that said, okay, let's crucify them. We, you Jews, you want to do that? And the religious leaders of the day, what did they do? The religious leaders, they weren't happy with Christianity. So you stuck between, stuck between an empire, Rome, persecuting Christians, and a, and a religious system, a group of religious leaders that are saying, no, Jesus is not the risen Savior. As a matter of fact, you're lying about it. It's just a made-up story stuck between that. Somehow we have a story of Jesus of Nazareth that comes out of that, by the way, and changes the world. 
In just a couple of hundred years, the Roman Empire does what? Instead of persecuting the church, it becomes a what? They adopt Christianity as their religion. Why? Because they wanted to unify people. And that was something that they would unify about. How did that, how did that come about? Well, it's things like this. Simon Peter, all right? So Jesus the Nazareth. Simon Peter goes around there in the first century, and he's telling people about Jesus Christ. He's telling people about his friend. He's there like, yes, I was the one that said, I don't even know him on the night that he was crucified. And three days later, I peered into a grave. He wasn't there. And that night, I saw him. I saw him with my own eyes. And Peter goes on, and he's telling these stories. And John Mark is somebody who spent a lot of time with Peter. And John Mark, somewhere along the line, starts saying, I'm going to write these stories down. And it is Mark that dictates the story that Peter is telling. And we have it in what we call the Gospel of Mark. But before it became the Gospel of Mark, as we have it, in this book right here, it was the story that Mark was telling people. To them, it wasn't religious literature. Oh, let me pull out my Bible. Let me pull out my passage of Scripture here and make sure that I can tell this to you. But rather to them at that time, to Mark, it's the stories that Peter is telling. And they're not just made up fables that Peter is telling, but rather they are the stories that Peter is telling. Why? Because he was there and I saw Jesus and I spent time with him. So I want you to get that in our minds as we, as we go through these passages this morning, as we go through these stories from Mark. Sometimes we think that it's just a religious book, religious stories written, you know, and people messed around, changed some things. That's not the case. They're the eyewitness accounts. It's the eyewitness account of somebody that spent time with Jesus, that was there with him. And I want us to be reminded of that in our minds. It's an eyewitness account preserved for us down over centuries, right, of time, amazingly. And sometimes we think, well, uh, it's scripture. We can't believe that. Do Do you realize that there are thousands of pieces of documents of the New Testament? And people doubt that sometimes. They doubt, but yet there are thousands of pieces of document, documents of the New Testament scripture that date all the way back to the early centuries, third, fourth century, I believe, is some of the oldest manuscripts are back into that range there. The Roman Empire. Instead of thousands of documents, we have tens of documents. It's around 40 documents that we get all of our information on the Roman Empire. That, that's the story of Jesus Christ that was written about. Why? Because people wanted to talk about it. Why was it copied? It was copied back down meticulously in detail because I wanted to pass it along to my friends because I wanted them to have their own copy. I wanted them to understand it. I wanted them to hear that. So when we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, I want you to remember that this is something that took place, Peter, telling Mark, Mark writing it down, dictating it. And why? Because we don't, we don't believe that Peter could read or write. We're not certain that he could do that. And that's why Mark did that for them. So this morning, as we look at this passage, I want you to know that Jesus, throughout his New Testament ministry, oftentimes goes along and the religious leaders, they come and they try to catch him. And if you're familiar with church, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the elders, the priests, they would try to catch Jesus and mess him up. And whenever Jesus did, whenever they did that, Jesus would always have a great answer for him, and he would just silence him, and he'd send them back mad, stewing in, in, their, in their anger. Well, we're going to get him next time. We're going to send somebody else. Well, you're not smart enough to figure it out. I'll go. I'll, I'll be the one that goes and gets him next time, right? And they're always doing things like that. But, but as we come to our story today, we're, we're going to start, and I'm just going to move quickly through some passages of Scripture. In, Je- in uh, Mark chapter 7, Jesus and his group, they all head back up north in Israel. And, and right here, they're, they're headed back up here to a place called Caesarea Philippi, 
Galilee, which is above Capernaum and is above the Sea of Galilee. Down here is where Jerusalem is, and that's where a major part of our story is going to take place this morning. But as, in chapter 7, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking up there, and so many of them were from this area. They were from the Sea of Galilee area. As a matter of fact, they were fishermen, many of them, fishermen right on that area. That's where they made their living. And Jesus takes them up there, and they meet together, and something very important, right, very important happens at Caesarea Philippi. And as Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, hey, what, what's the word on the street about me? Who do people, who do people say that I am? Right? And, and they answered and they respond and they respond by saying, well, some are saying that you're, that you're John the Baptist, some are saying you're Elijah, some are saying that you're one of the prophets. Um, that, that's what the word on the street is about you. But Jesus continued and he says, but what about you guys? Who do you think, who do you say that I am? Right? And, and he goes with that. And Peter answers and he says, Peter, go, Peter goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and on that they're, they're all amazed, and, and Mark doesn't go on to say more, but we find more in, the, in Matthew's gospel where Matthew goes and says that Jesus responded to him, hey, Peter, you have spoken correctly. And not only have you spoken correctly, but upon that statement, I will build my assembly. I will build my gathering. I will build what we call my church. We use it as my church, but Jesus was saying, hey, I'm going to build my gathering, my assembly, on that very idea that what you said, that he is, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. After this happened, um, he, began, he, he began to teach his people. So he, he takes his people aside and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things. So Jesus, after telling them and after the, this proclamation, he gets the crowd together and they're with him and he starts talking about this idea that the son of man is going to be beaten. He's going to be rejected by the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed. Oh, hang on a minute. The, the guys, the disciples, they're thinking, wait a minute. If we just said that you're the Messiah, we're planning a whole political thing here, all right? Um, we're not thinking spiritual. We're thinking freedom for the nation of Israel, freedom from the Roman Empire, freedom from Roman rule. And this idea of you talking about um, you're going to die, that, 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 that doesn't help the cause, Jesus, all right? Um, if you want to be, be the one that's going to lead this rebellion against Rome— Maybe you want to say about, talk about more about the good things that are going to take place, all right? How we're going to take over. Yeah, there's going to be some deaths along the way, but it's not going to be you. You can't because you're the Messiah, and we, we know that. And he tells them after three days, he's going to rise again. But what happens like with that? As he spoke plainly about this to the disciples, he continues, and as he's speaking plainly to the, to the disciples about this, Peter, all right, takes him aside, and Peter's going to, Peter's going to rebuke him, all right? Peter's there like, Jesus. Like I'm saying, listen, no, enough of the negativity. Let's go with positive stuff. Let's build the people up. Let's get the crowd coming with us, right? That's the idea as to what he's, what he's looking at. But Jesus, when Peter takes him aside, but Jesus, what does he do instead? Jesus looks at his disciples, all right? He looks at his disciples. And this, is, this, this look right here of looking at the disciples and rebuking Peter makes me think that what I just said is accurate, that they're all there like, wait a minute, he can't be spreading this negativity. He's got to be positive. And then the disciples are gathered together. We got to stop this. Peter goes over and talks to them. So Jesus looks at the disciples and rebukes Peter. Listen, I know all of you guys are thinking this. You guys are probably even talking about it. Peter, get behind me. Satan, you do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. Well, of course, he's a man. What's he thinking? He's thinking political. He's thinking we want to uprise. We want to take over. Then he called the crowd together. 
All right? And Jesus, when he calls the whole crowd together, he wants to talk about them with them. And he tells them, hey, anybody that wants to be my disciple, guess what? You need to take up your cross and follow me. And if you've been in church, if you've grown up in church, you've heard that comment. Take up my cross, take up your cross, and follow me. And to us, that's just a religious statement. But to them in the first century, guess what? It was a literal statement. They were aware. What happens to people who try to rebel, lead a, re a revolution against or a rebellion against Rome? They get crucified. They had seen this. Some of them had seen this. Many of them had heard about this and been told, you don't ever want to have to see it, and you certainly don't want it to happen to you. And the people there, this is not just a religious statement to them, but rather it's something that, oof, oof. Following Jesus could lead to our death because of what he is leading us to do. And they're nervous and they're afraid. Do we want to follow him? And he continues on and he says these words here, for whoever wants to save his life, and that's all of us, right? will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. So they continue on, and now they're going to start heading towards Jerusalem. And as they head towards Jerusalem, Jesus walks into a place in Capernaum, and he's, this is by, as he is headed to Jerusalem, he's headed to the Passion Week, that final week of his life. All right? So as they are headed back down, they come to Capernaum, and they're going to be headed up to Jerusalem in just a few moments here. And as they, come to as they come to Capernaum, they enter a house there, and Jesus looks at the guys, and he's like, hey, what, what were you guys talking about back on the road there? What were you talking about? <laughs> they all... Uh, I don't know, sports? Well, the weather, it's kind of hot today. You know, it's been hot this past week. We were talking about we need some rain. That sort of thing. No, they all, they're quiet. And why were they quiet? They were quiet because of this right here. They were talking about which one of them's the greatest. Jesus, Jesus says, hey, we're going to head back to Jerusalem. I want you to know that the Son of Man is going to die. He's going to be killed. All right? Um, and their, their greatest concern was that they're, hey, we, who, who's the greatest? Anyway, probably along with that, there had just been a this strange thing that happened, we call it the transfiguration, where three of them had gone up with Christ and they'd seen something spectacular, all right? So those three are probably there, well, we're the three best because we were with them, you know, and the other three, the other nine are looking at them, what do you mean? We're just, right? But they're wondering, they're there like arguing about who's the greatest, who's the greatest of all time? And in Mark chapter 10, 10 verse 32, as a matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you if you want to turn there. Mark chapter 10, 32, we're going we're gonna to move through a passage, some, some scriptures here. And as we go through these passages of scriptures, I want you to pay attention to what takes place. Because you see, they were on their way up to Jerusalem. So all of this has been leading towards going to Jerusalem. And as we, they're on their way to Jerusalem, again, as I said, headed towards that Passion Week, the final week of Christ's life. The final week prior to his crucifixion. Um, and Jesus is leading the way. And, and read what Peter tells Mark, these words. And the disciples were astonished. Why were they astonished? Jesus is leading the way. Well, those who followed along, they were afraid. All right, the, the disciples, they're astonished. Jesus is going forward. He's been telling us that he's going to die, and yet he's marching out front. Maybe we should put our leader a little behind so we can protect him a little better. We should all be around him or something like that. But Jesus is leading the way, and the crowd behind him, they're afraid. We're like, Ooh, we don't know what's going to happen. We're a little bit nervous. And again, he took the 12 aside. Again, he took the 12 aside. Peter wants us to know. Mark, in writing this down, the detail, took them aside and told them what was going to happen to him. And he says this, we are going up to Jerusalem, he said, 
and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise again. If you're someone that doubt, doubts the validity of the story of Jesus, I, I would encourage you with these next words right here that we're going to look at here in just a second. Because these next words are not words that if you were writing the story, you would write in about you. And you would not write them in about your friend. You might write them in about your enemy, but you're not going to write them about friends, people that are close to you, people that you went to your death with, that you guys went to death with. That's how important it was. But the gospel story, the writers, the disciples, they let write details in about themselves that make us say, wow. Nobody would say that about themselves unless it was true. Jesus says, I am going to be flogged. I am going to be spit upon. I am going to be killed. Peter says this next. Then James and John. The sons of Zebedee came to him. By the way, this is James and John, the disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the John that wrote the gospel. This is the John that, whom Jesus, that says the one that Jesus loved. This is the John that stood next to the cross when Christ was crucified and Christ looked down and said, hey, Mary, take care of my mom, Mary, to John. This is this John, the gospel writer. Three letters later in the New Testament. This John, what does he say? Teacher, they said. We want you to do this. We want you to do whatever it is that we ask. Hey, we have something we want to ask you to do. H hang on. Jesus just said that I'm going to be spit upon. I'm going to be killed. All right, I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be beaten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we heard all that part. And that, that's not good for you. We, <laughs> whew, well, that, that's, part of the, that's part of being the leader, I guess, is what they're saying. But they, they have something that we want you to ask. We're, we're going to ask. And, and Jesus looks at them. And he says, what? do you want me to do for you? Hold on to that thought statement right there a minute because it's going to come back a little bit later for us here as well. What do you want me to do for you? And the disciples, after hearing this story, James and John, they replied, let us sit, let, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Uh, wait a minute. He just said he's going to be, that's what they were concerned about? Yeah, that's what we're concerned about. We want to be the ones on the left and the right. We want to be there. Jesus, how about the two of us? We're, we've been, you know, we're, we're two of the most faithful ones. You know, I mean, we're pretty important. We're, we're, we're really good. Matter of fact, we might be the greatest disciples of all time, all right? That might be us, right? Jesus responds to him and says, you do not know what you ask. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink uh, or be baptized with the baptism that I am being baptized with? And they replied with a, yes, we can. They're there like, we can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But let me tell you this, the, but, what, but, what, um, but you cannot be seated on the sides of me. All right, he goes on to say, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. In the midst of this situation, Jesus looks at his disciples and they ask him, hey, we want to be seated in spots of glory. Jesus says, I, we can't do that. Look what happens, all right? You, you know, by, by the way, going back to that part where we know 
because we know the response of the other ten. When the other ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They became indignant. They didn't become indignant because James and John had, guys, do you not know Jesus was just in a serious moment? Leave a tender moment alone. Even Billy Joel knows that. All right, you leave that alone right there. I'm sorry. Um, I need to listen to my own message here, I guess. Um, but but, it, but they're, they're, they're not upset because of what Jesus said. They're upset because, no, 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 you, you two think you're better than us. We don't want you to do that. So what does Jesus do? Jesus brings them all together. So Jesus brought the disciples together, and, and he says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, there we are, we're back to where we started, right? Whoever wants to become great among you, the disciples worried about who's going to be the greatest, fighting about who's going to be the greatest, they get to this point and Jesus looks at them and says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Are you kidding me? That's not the way it works. I want to be the leader. I want to be strong. I want to be high. I'm not serving anybody. I'm going to tell people what to do. After all, that's what leading is. When I get to tell everybody, Ooh, this is how you're going to do it, and this is why you're going to do it, because I'm large and I'm in charge. That's the way that it goes. Um, husbands and wives, how does this work in marriage? Families, brothers, sisters, how, how does that work in family? Serve my brother? I'm not doing that. No, it's no chance. He can take care of himself. I'm not helping him. Right? Jesus says, no, 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 not so with us. We want to serve. And he continues on. Not so with you. As he continues in the scripture, in the scripture there, and he goes on. And whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. You see, the greatest is one who sacrifices for others. The greatest is one who will sacrifice for the good of others. The greatest is the person who is willing to serve others, right? Jesus looks and he says the greatest sacrifices for others. The greatest serve others. That is what he is talking about. Um, we want to be people who are willing to serve those that are around us. We want to be individuals that are willing to serve those that we come in contact with. You want to change your family? Try that. You mean humble myself and serve? Humble yourself and serve. See if that starts to change things in your life. Husband and wife, what if we serve one another and the other tries to outserve the other, tries to outserve? Do you think that changes? A, do you think that changes a family? Do you think that changes a relationship? We sacrifice and we serve. For even the Son of Man. Jesus goes on to say, did not come to, to, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You see, saved people serve people. It's, it's one of our core principles. It's one of our core beliefs. It's back there in the, in the coffee area. Every week we can take a look and we can see that. Saved people serve people. Why do we do, don't go, just go to church, be the church Sunday? Well, because the speakers need a week off, and that's why we take care of that. And we're like, well, nothing anybody else wants to do on a Sunday morning. No, no, no. 
We do that, why? Because we want to go serve the community. Can we go serve the community another time? Absolutely, but we want to get the group, we want to get a body of believers together and we want them to come together and serve together and serve along with one another. Why do we want them to serve along with one another? Because we believe that serving with one another represents the church and hopefully our communities will see you. Is it because what we're going to do is great? Maybe, maybe some of it's great. Maybe the greatness will be that some unbeliever, somebody that's far from Christ, will see the church at work and they'll say, you know what? I don't know a whole lot about that Christianity. I don't know a whole about a lot about that Jesus thing. But those people are out serving just because they want to be part of a church. I, I like that idea. People become offended by the church because too frequently, what do they see? They don't see church people that are serving, but rather they see church people that are judgmental, making determinations for everybody else, how they should live, how they should do, how they should behave. And yet Jesus said, let me serve. The Son of Man didn't come to, the Son of Man came to serve those, right? And what do we look like? We look like Jesus when we are serving others. That's why we have the signups in the back. I would encourage you, come along, sign up back there. And if you're like, you know what, I, I can't get out and do stuff. I, I can't be one of the people that's out about doing things. I just can't because of my health, because of wh whatever the situation may be, we would encourage you to come along because there are some things that we have that people that can't even go out that we would like them to do. And some of it's writing, writing notes to uh, some of the teachers here at Susquehanna Valley and some other notes, some things like that that you can do. I would encourage you next Sunday, don't be like the pastor that's speaking. Be like yourself. You come out and be part of the church. Be part of the, don't just go to church. Be the church. Um, the world knows this. We, we actually work with, uh, Bridgewater works with, all right, we support a ministry called Hope for Cora. And, and this ministry that we support, um, it's, it's the, Cora is a city, and the city is actually on a dump heap. 130,000 people, I believe, is what I was reading about it. 130,000 people that, that are there. And yet, the prime minister of Ethiopia called to a number of these people and had them come to the palace, and he served them. The prime minister served them. Now, for all of us, it just looks like a good photo op, right? And look, ooh, photo op, he's going to serve the people. But how about that? A leader that's serving those that are downtrodden, those that, are, those that were sick and diseased right there. That is him doing that for this group of people. That's a ministry that we support. You see, the world sees it. What makes us sick? We get sick when we look at our political leaders at what? Are they serving the people that are under them or are they serving themselves? Yeah, we uh, think we, they serve themselves pretty well, don't they? Seem to line their pockets, right? And it drives us nuts and we get upset. But don't worry, the great hope of the world is the church. It's not Washington, D.C. It's not politics. The great hope of the world is in the church. It's in the people in here serving along with one another. Well, I want to jump back to our story because I want to finish with this part right here. They came to an area, all right? They're going to continue on. Jesus is going to continue on. And, and they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples were together with a large crowd, they were leaving the city and a, and a blind man Bartimaeus was sitting by the road begging. So I want you to get the picture. As they're leaving, as they're leaving and they're still heading up to Jerusalem, right? They, they leave the city and, they're, and they come to Jericho. And as they're going through, they hear this blind man begging. And he hears that Jesus is going by and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody looks over there at him. Shut up. Sit over there and be quiet. We got to keep going. We're busy. We got to get to Jerusalem. Don't you understand? We're important people. We're with Jesus. 
we're in a hurry. Everybody's busy, right? I'm busy. You're busy. You got things to do, places to go, people to be with, people to see, whatever it is to take care of. And this is Jesus. And if we're busy, just imagine how busy Jesus was, right? And this blind man, he's over there begging, hey, hey, hear me, hear me. And they're all there like, keep going, keep going, keep going. Don't pay attention to that over there. Let's go. And Jesus stops. And he tells him, no, 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 bring him over here. Bring him over here to me. And this is what happens. Throwing his cloak on. Throwing his cloak aside, excuse me. He jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Now, I want you to remember Peter dictating this to Mark, telling the story again. Mark writes this in. This guy comes to Jesus. We just saw this question asked before, correct? We just saw it asked before. When Jesus looked at his disciples, hey, Jesus, we got something we want you to do for us. Uh, What do you want me to do for you? And now he looks at blind Bartimaeus and says, what do you want me to do for you? Do you you think Jesus really needed to ask the question? Do you think he was pretty aware? The guy was blind. He's begging. He's been there all of his life. I think Jesus probably knew what it was that the guy wanted. Everybody there knew what it was the guy wanted. Do you think Jesus said this? And maybe Peter remembered it in his mind because of what had just taken place earlier. I think that. The same exact question, he looks at Bartimaeus, and just imagine, he's looking, here's Bartimaeus, and he's looking over at his disciples. What is it you want me to do for you? And I can just imagine James and John, again, Peter, stand in front of me, I don't, right? They're they're, they're just there, right? What do you want me to do for you? And he responded, I want to receive my sight. I want to receive my sight. You see, the greatest sacrifices for others. And Jesus takes his time there and he serves this man and he changes his life. I want to receive my sight. And Jesus gave it to him. You see, Paul told us in Philippians that we should have the same mind that is that of Christ who being in very nature God, did not view equality with God as something to be grasped, but rather took on the form of a human, even a human being and a servant, and humbled himself, even to death, death on a cross. You see, our Lord and Savior understood what it was to be the greatest of all time, because he was the greatest of all time. And as part of the church, you see, it's humility is not just a part of it, right? Humility is something that's not just a part of the service. It's the heart of our service. And if you and I want to be the greatest of all time, we belong to the greatest organization of all time. It's the Church of Jesus Christ. It's the organization that has the ability to change the hearts and minds of men and women, boys and girls, and it's been doing it for 2,000 years, and the lives of people are changed, they're transformed. Perfect? No. But redeemed? Yes. And each one of us in here, we have the opportunity to be the greatest of all time. Be a part of the church. It's the greatest organization in the world. It has the power to change the lives, the minds, the hearts of people. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time together this morning, as we close our service, I say thank you for each one of the people that are here. 
Lord, I say thank you for our band. As, even as they come back up, Lord, we say thank you that they have led us this morning in singing praise to you, and we say thank you for that. But God, we say thank you that you allow us to be part of an organization, not perfect. Why, Lord? Because it's made up of people like you, of, of, of human beings, I don't, of us, people like us, Lord. But you gave your life for it, and you think that it's worth every ounce of your being. God, I just pray that you would help us to be individuals that desire to serve, individuals that desire to love, individuals that desire to help, individuals that desire to sacrifice, individuals that desire to use our Christianity as a source to reach others with the hope of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we believe that he is the hope of the world. So God, I say thank you. I pray that you might bless, that you might encourage each one here. Go with us. Help us to have a great week praising your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Please stand and sing one more song with us.